Hello and welcome to Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. I am one of your hosts, John McMahon, and joining me on the other line, Pope Lenny's personal lifeguard. Oh no, wait, that's the wrong show. Joining me on the other line, she is to normal podcasters as the bubonic plague is to her runny nose. It's Danielle Hanley. Oh. <laughs> oh what my do you God. think about that? What? How I just interpolated you as the papal lifeguard. I'm, I'm still uh, having a godly hangover from Young Pope. I'm like, I'm torn because I'm like, I don't want to be in that show. I don't want to be in a show about Christianity. Like, I just, sure. I don't want to uh-huh. do. But also, I could, I could be Pope Lenny's personal life. I could handle that. It means you get to hang out at Castel uh, Gandolfo, like up in the mountains in Europe. So yeah, like in, nice. and also like Jude Law. Cool. Yeah. In, Jude done. Law in swim trunks. In. The most Even in. better. The yeah, most after in. after his Bowflex workout, um, Danielle, <laughs> we're back. See, I'm we not are joking. back. We are back. <laughs> I've been gone for a long time. Uh, the truth is, I have been like gone from the podcast for a long time, but not actually gone for as long as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yes, um, we had our Barbenheimer Mission Impossible extravaganza. Um, yes, we on, did. Like, my my own personal trip to Europe, i.e., to Worcester, Mass. Um, <laughs> same, same, right? <laughs> my you my know. film festival visit for the season <laughs> in Worcester. Oh my God! Yes, we had that. Also, like back from Greece, back on the podcast. Back to teaching, yeah. all of oh it. We're all, it's all back. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, we're very it's back. like we're very back. Uh, and I don't know. I think we're going to be able to keep up a regular recording schedule. Oh, That's the plan. Very excited about it. Yeah, I um, yes, I I loved Young Pope podcasting. Loved having Regan on the pod, and very excited Danielle's back. We're like really going to both end this one. Yeah, well, and I also loved Young Pope podcasting because I was listening <laughs> to it, even though I was. <laughs> As is my want, not watching the show. We're back talking about we're talking about the Americans. Before we dig into that, though, yes. just a quick note. So this podcast was recorded during the 2023 WGA and SAG after strikes. So we want to just make sure that it's clear that without the labor of the writers and actors who are currently on strike, the show that we're covering would not exist. So it sure would not. Like aggressively not. And they deserve a good contract. And like Pay your writers, pay your actors, like pay all the people that do the labor to make these shows. Don't just pay the CEOs. And today, Danielle, we are digging into the Americans. We're back. Season four, episode one, entitled Glanders, directed by Thomas Schlama and written by Joe Weisberg and Joel Fields. Danielle, what is our IMDb summary for this season premiere? IMDb summary. Feels so good to be saying those words. Um, Elizabeth and Philip are- You're a Glanders girly? (laughs) I'm not a Glanders girly, but I'm like an episode summary girly. Great. So. Okay. <laughs> um, Elizabeth and Philip are supposed to get a biological weapon sample to fail, but fail to make the exchange when someone is watching. Nina works Anton and hopes it will lead to her freedom. Paige wonders if she can trust Pastor Tim with her secret. Well, Paige, no, you cannot. Which was <laughs> any one of us could have told you, but it's fine. <laughs> We'll get there. I I may disagree with you on that one, but you know we'll we'll get into it. I think, <laughs> please, if if you want to add, uh, like, give us some Pastor Tim hate from Jump, like I'm down. It's less Pastor Tim hate, and it's more like Pastor Tim. They're spies. Why are you trying to have a therapy session with them? <laughs> 
That's the classic, like, cool, I think I'm a cool yeah. priest move. Um, cool pastor he's, is probably the term he prefers because that's like, a, you know. I'm not I'm not a regular pastor. I'm a cool pastor. <laughs> right, exactly. My, like My best Amy Poehler. <laughs> and it's like, that's the worst version of, well, I, I'm not a professor. I'm the cool professor. Like, that's that's a dangerous game. Ugh. And, like, I think you and I probably managed to stay on the barely correct yeah, side. Yeah, I think that's right. You probably have to do a better job of that than me on staying on the correct side. Pastor Tim, all hope is gone for this guy. No. The Victorian ghost pastor Tim. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. I I did not think it was possible for the makeup team to make him look more pallid and spectral. And yet, as you point out correctly, they did it. So, like, also make sure that the makeup team of the Americans and all makeup artists and all productions are getting paid to make Victorian ghosts. When John and I started, like, planning, like, just doing a little outlining before, like, my the first thing I said was, <laughs> here's a note that I have. Oh, boy, Pastor Tim looks like a time-displaced Victorian ghost. Yeah, the hair is bigger. The outfits are worse. The ghostliness is amplified. It's it's a choice. If he and rolls in it. wearing, like, culottes next time, <laughs> I, I'm, like... Okay, this man is not alive. <laughs> <laughs> that would be quite amusing if this show turned into a supernatural that we have a dead ghost Victorian <laughs> pastor who is alive in the universe of the show. So now it's a supernatural spy thriller family story. I would lo- I would be more into Pastor Tim then. <laughs> <laughs> so Pastor Tim as human, no. No. Pastor hard Tim no. as poltergeist, yes. Maybe. <laughs> okay. That's that's great. I mean one of the strangest things to me is that uh, this is another summer shout out. So Amy and I had our Billions episode and I was vaguely Listen aware to that, too. <laughs> that Kelly O'Goyne, who plays Pastor Tim, is in Billions as a like shaved head, I believe, like antagonist or baddie. And I was so hoping he would oh. come up in that episode of Billions. He didn't. And yeah. it is, is clear for anyone who listened to that episode. I will be watching zero further episodes. Zero further episodes. I watch yeah. zero episodes anyway. So yeah. <laughs> and they listen to the pod. We love, we, we appreciate that. Dearly. Well, I, I believe I was like the inspiration for this being an, uh, like a read that I gave of Amy. <laughs> it's very true. So you, you were, uh, you were our, uh, millennial ghost on that episode (laughs) if people have not listened to that episode you should go back in the feed and listen to it it is honestly one of the most hilarious things that's been recorded and i feel like (laughs) the real crazy parts were cut out of that episode as have Uh, been told to me yeah yeah there were some parts that were still that one and also the white White lotus Lotus are both like very solid episodes we had to cut more from White Lotus for propriety's sake. Um, <laughs> if you if you listen to the end and you're like, that's a weird jump cut in like the very last moment, there's some lost audio that we have um, that all is for like whatever a level higher than Patreon is. <laughs> all right, let's dig into um, <laughs> let's dig into the Americans because yes. I'm sad to like spend all this time talking about episodes that I wasn't on. What did you think about, I think the way into this episode is you and I discuss is to consider like 
the structural and narrative and emotional choices for mm-hmm. this episode, for this being the first episode of a new season. And maybe we begin with, were you surprised by there being no time jump into the season? It, it literally starts a few hours after the end of season three. Yeah, so I, it took me a minute to, like, be oriented, because, like, we do get the Philip stuff in the beginning, but then, like, once we're, once we're out of, like, when we're out of his dream memory. I think um, that's accurate. We are, like, an hour, like, we're right after where they sort of ended season three, where Elizabeth's like, are you okay? Like, what's going on with you? Are you okay? Right? And, like, you sort of pick back up with that energy when Philip is sort of, like, in this waking dream stuff. Yeah, I was I was surprised because usually there's, like, a little bit more lag, but we mm-hmm. pick right back up with it with the Philip stuff. Also, like, the first interaction with Gabriel is that is Gabriel being like, you lied to me. And I was like, what did they lie about? And then I was like, oh, they lied about going, going to, to Berlin. Berlin. Yeah, right. That's a big thing. It was shocking sort of how quickly they pick up. And the other shocking part is obviously that this season opens not with them in the present, but the cold open is Philip's dream memory, as you put it, of killing this boy that had been bullying him yeah. in his youth in Tobolsk in the USSR. Coming off of the end of last season where Philip is obviously struggling with the sort of murder of Gene, right? Like yeah. that that was a difficult thing for him. We sort of experienced that with him in various ways in the at the end of that episode. Then to like come into this like jump cut to this dream memory where he's doing the same thing, but it's like a young boy. There's something incredibly disturbing about that. And you start like you can see the threads that the that the showrunners are sort of putting together for us. But I think it's incredibly effective to just like to hammer home the like emotional turmoil that like I think for the first the better part of the first three seasons is getting shoved down and shoved down and shoved down yeah. that we're yeah. watching Philip do a lot of that earlier on in the series and like by the end of season three he's just like incapable of doing that anymore yeah incapable is a notable word choice there because one of the questions that is mostly unasked but then he kind of asks it to martha um is whether and he kind of asks this to himself at est is like whether it was him killing this kid when he was a kid that turned him into the violent person that he is and resents himself for being in the present and yet nonetheless persists in being so there's that part of it and then the other thing that i think is 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 really significant is that this comes right on the heels of killing gene where in both the season three finale and in this episode it is emphasized the childlike qualities of gene right so in season three it's the lingering on the toy robots and this season it's him telling martha that you know about the toys about like there are parts of this that were like a child and so it's as if the the killing of gene and the killing of the kid when he was a kid for philip are somewhat merged in his consciousness or somewhat merged in like his affective state Yeah, and you start to see why in the end of season three, when he was like so fixated on the toys, was a weird fixation. 
But like, I don't know, I've never killed a person. So like, maybe I would also be fixated on something like that. And then with the with the dream memory of this murder, you start to see why that's the fixation, right? And I think you're Mm -hmm. absolutely right in sort of like, in calling our attention to the fact that these things are kind of like, they are, they are overlapped and, and intertwined, like in his own, like memory of these experiences, that like, that's part of why he's drawn to the toys, because like, he's like, now robbed another person of their, like of their childhood experience, right? Like, Mm -hmm. there's something yeah, there's something triggering about the toys for him. And it's like, it's bringing him back to this memory. Yeah, because it confronts him with the, is he fundamentally a violent person question. Yeah. And short circuits the, I commit violence because of my job, because of my marriage to Elizabeth, because of how I have chosen to live my life. Like it's taken the structural and circumstantial um, not quite justifications, but explanations for his violence that he commits. He's skipping all of those and like asking questions about himself at his core in the wake of what he did to Jean. And also, I think what he is doing to Martha um, through the acts that he's committing as well. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe the other way that I would say it is like there's something about him his version of himself that's fracturing right yes that like yes it's these it's exactly that like am i am i inherently a violent person is a thing that he is able to like push down or or push aside and like there's something about this particular constellation and the like Mm the pressing upon of all of, of there's like the Martha and the, and the Kimmy and the page, all of this stuff that he's like only a little bit on board with. Right. He's like kept himself oriented. Like this is the mission. I, this is what I do. This is my job. And then there's something about like having to convince yourself so many different times that this is like the mission and this is worth it. It like breaks something. Right. And it breaks not only in all of the ways you identify, but there's this like physical break that's signified totally. by the fact that, you know, the language you use at the beginning was dream memory. It's like fractured the border between awake and asleep or between uh, consciousness and like dreamlike unconscious as well. Or maybe it has fractured the membrane between the real world and Barbie land. Maybe it has. Maybe he's, uh, maybe, you know, now it's just like a thought experiment about the Cold War if the Barbie Land portal was open. Will we see Philip on rollerblades? Is Philip's John Beach? Is, no, it's not. Is, is the patriarchy of the USSR just about horses? <laughs> maybe more. So. so it's funny you say that. I read an article just like oh two my days God. ago. Love it. I almost sent you and Regan about the wild horses of Hungary. Um, and I don't, don't know. Um, and like, there's a lot about like the structure and the gender relations within the horse. These like the most wild horse community uh, and everything. And I was going to send it to you and Regan and ask about patriarchy and horses. And then I refrained. Um, I'm so not sure why you refrained. Anything. All right. Well, then I guess when we're done recording, you and Regan are getting the patriarchy <laughs> horses. Barbie went text. Amazing. What character in the Americans would be most likely for their job to be beach? <laughs> Bastard Tim. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> he would burn in a 12 know, seconds just why. like me. I'm familiar. <laughs> that's I think that that's conundrum. like what I'm after. Sadly, like, you know, pour one out for the true my job is beach. A king of Amador. Amador's job would be beach. Amador's job would be beach. I feel like if it was someone who's still alive in the show, hmm. I feel like maybe Tori's job is beach. Tori's job could be beach, yeah. You know, we've really gone far afield here, but I, I mean, I'm we're into just it. fulfilling our like podcasters guild requirements to make Barbie references <laughs> a million the rest percent. of 2023. A million percent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Distributed by a struck studio. <laughs> true very true <laughs> our you know sojourn into barbie land aside i feel like philip all of the philip stuff with gene one of the things that you that you mentioned is like him sort of telling martha about the toys right so we get in the season three finale we get his own fixation on the toys and then we get like this exchange with martha where he's telling her about the toys and part of why he's doing that is because like Elizabeth's like, you have to tell Martha what happened with Jean. And that sets off like a couple of different interactions in the in the episode between Philip and Martha that are I, I would use the word chilling to describe. Absolutely. Right. Like so Philip goes over and he sort of like wakes her up in the middle of the night. Right. Creeper style. Yeah. Creeper style. And he's not in his Clark garb. This is, I think, another of the fracturings that you called our attention to, right? There's now a fracture where there's no longer any membrane between Clark and Philip, if there ever was. Right. Well, and like in season three, we get him taking it off. But I was struck by this because this is right after Stan shows up, which we get a mention of in this episode. It's right after Stan shows up at Martha's apartment and it's like, why would Philip risk not being in his like disguise if we know that Stan is prone to like roll in here? Because it's I guess it's because it's three in the morning is his thought, and he's not in the best psychic, uh, clearest mind. Yeah, I mean, I think the second thing is like is yeah. is more at work here. Yeah. I thought that Allison writes acting across the entire episode but particularly in that first scene after martha is woken up is just truly incredible fully Um, agree the way that she imbues the uh, the oh no's those line reads that was i think the single most chilling thing in the entire episode the like shattering of her own reality even further than she thought was possible like not only is this person not who he says he is not only is this person a spy not only does he not actually look like how i thought he looked like and on and on and on but i am now complicit in the murder of my friend or work friend or work acquaintance in some way is i think like truly a remarkable moment for Martha and to track her response to that through the episode, starting in those very first moments where she says, I didn't agree to this. And then later says, I did this. Yeah. Even in that conversation, it's just so powerfully done by Allison Wright. um, And then Matthew Reese playing off of her. No, I agree. Like the act Martha's acting in general is always so good, but this, this episode asks a lot of her and asks a lot of her facial expressions and and like her embodied sort of 
experience yeah. of what's going on, right? Like I would also put the way I have in my notes, like Martha is a zombie because the way that she mm. sort of carries herself in the office after this scene, right, is like so is also incredibly powerful, but also like a subtle conveyance of like you just see everything that that she knows and has happened sort of like moving through her body, which is like fascinating. Yeah. And you see Stan react to that. Like Stan clocks it. Remains to be seen if he clocks it for like what it is or clocks it for something else. Like <laughs> let's put a pause on that till we get to the dossier. And it's her acting in a way that expresses how Phillips am I a violent person question is obviously not only a question about Philip himself, yeah. but it's a question of who does he pull into this life of violence beyond Elizabeth, mm-hmm. right? Who has voluntarily quote unquote, or to some extent, like we can raise questions about agency and voluntarism and all of that, but like who has signed up for that life to some extent, right? But who gets pulled into that life of violence against their will and then has to confront the same questions that or similar questions to what Philip is asking himself without any sort of training, volunteerism, safety net, context, on on and on and on. And Allison Wright, I think, communicates all of that in that moment, especially well. And then I think it becomes fascinating to track how her response maybe changes in quite the right word, but changes throughout the episode. Yeah, that you can sort of see it seeping in a little bit mm, as the mm-hmm. episode goes on. We kind of get uh, all of season three, now that I'm thinking about it, with Martha funneled into the course of this one particular episode. Yes. Where over season three, as we see Martha have to confront all of these realizations, there are a couple key moments, right? The manja moment or like the and a couple times towards the even further into the end of, of season three, where it's not like she fully accepts what's happening, but there's a willingness to continue to like act as the operator to continue to act as yeah. the like person performing surveillance or getting documents or whatever, like that, like forced or compelled or like gaslit acquiescence or something like that. We then get all of that buildup that took place over a while in season three happen in this episode where the opening, right, is like, oh, no, I didn't agree to this. You don't touch me. I'm going to go sleep on the couch. Two moments where she voluntarily, like, opens up to Philip, where she tells Philip to tell her everything, where she agrees quite readily to get the surveillance reports on William. So, like, that arc which has been well prepared by Allison Wright yeah. and Matthew Reese and well prepared by the show, um, like really comes together in this much more intensified way in this one episode, I think. Yeah. I listen, I think that that's a really good read on this. I'm still, I think the, the thing that's fascinating about, about Martha's arc and it's, it's consistent, but it's, fascinating to me is like it feels like most people if this were happening would be like i am out i am so far out i am the most out on whatever nonsense this is and like there is both fear i think that's driving part of this right like if i say i'm out like am i dead like what is this and also martha's in love with clark slash philip and again like martha's 
attachment to him is another way that we know or that we can see that fracturing happening, right? Because it's Mm -hmm. like, which one is she in love with? Uh, We don't know because right now she's seeing, she's seeing Philip, but also she's always already seeing Clark too, right? Like, so there's not, there's not really like, there's no membrane there for her anymore either. Yeah. When Philip tells Martha this is after Philip says something like, I wonder if this is the why this is why I am the way I am in, you know, telling her a version of, of the story from his youth. Um, and he says, I won't put you in danger and we'll decide everything together. How much do you think that that is genuine Philip versus how much do you think that's Philip still trying to like salvage the uh, agent relationship with Martha? and like trying to maintain her doing stuff for the KGB? I mean, that's a good question. I think it's like, it's a little bit of both, right? Because I think it, it it's like Philip's training is that, yeah. right? It's yeah. the latter. Mm-hmm. And also now Philip is on this like journey of self-discovery in which he is trying to figure out who <laughs> he actually is. And that, that version of it vis-a-vis Martha is like maybe trying to like kind of keep her safe, right? And this is the way to do that. Right, as in the sense that, like, whether he could consciously voice this or not, it's the, like, knowledge that he has that if Martha keeps giving useful intel, then maybe yeah. she gets to live. Um, uh, yeah. Or at least yeah. he can make the case that she right. is, like, a valuable asset, right? And that's, like, where yeah. the practical consideration becomes like the life raft that he is clinging to. And it's just, it's like wild to see him cling to a life raft about Martha when like all of these other things around him are crumbling. But anyway. Right. And I mean, again, this is a question of how intentional I think this is for him because he's witnessed as well. Like he lived season three that we saw, right? So he saw that Martha is willing to it doesn't take much to get Martha to volunteer to go in, to get in deeper. Yeah. Right. And so like that also is the, you know, when he says we're going to make every decision together, it's not long after that, that Martha's like, well, I can, you know, we can, I can get these surveillance reports for you. No problem. How conscious Philip is of this, how intentional um, he is about it. The phrase that kept coming back to me during the episode. And then again, when you were just talking is, a personality or role confusion. And I think Mm. that's another way of considering like the fracturing of Philip, of Martha, of maybe others um, in this episode. Yeah. Oh, any other Martha thoughts? Yes. Okay. Go for it. The moment when she is in the office, she's staring at Jean's like video room um, that was his and then walks away, and then Stan comes up to her. Yeah. Um, and Martha gives the, I guess you never really know a person, do you? In, like, the fucking ice-coldest way possible. Oh, my God. Like, that moment is a, like, stand up out of your chair. I can't believe that just happened. In my notes, I have that quote written down, and then in all caps, underlined three times, chilling. Yep. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I no. literally have ice cold in all caps, like in my notes right there. So, do we Great have the minds. same brain? Same Maybe. brain. Yeah. You know, <laughs> works out for co authoring and for potting together. So, we'll take it. Um, yeah. No, that line, that line read, one, that line read is like phenomenal. It's just like back to like 
her amazing acting in this episode. And then also, I feel like that line read encapsulates the entire show, which is, (laughs) like, just a, a fun, cool, and intense thing all happening at once. Uh-huh. I think that's exactly right. Wow. Right? Because that's that's true. That's very true of Philip, both to himself and to Elizabeth and to Gabriel and to Martha. Yep. Right? All of the above. So it's yeah. literally it like literally describes the like page parents mm-hmm. dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the like Stan, Sandy, Stan, <laughs> Philip. <laughs> It's like right, all of stand it. My my neighbors are KGB agents. Yeah. And I'm an FBI agent who's maybe sometimes fine at yeah. my job. <laughs> like I mean, I, I think we probably would have gotten to this later, but like, do you think that Stan is still suspicious of Martha in that moment? Or do you read this more as an apology for him having been maybe suspicious of Martha in the past? No, I think Stan is. I, I literally wrote Stan's on to Martha. <laughs> okay. Okay. Especially because Stan has like been now celebrated for his suspicion. Mm, I feel mm-hmm. like now he's in a moment where he's more prone to like follow that through line. Um, and so I don't think I'm, Maybe he, one, I'm sure he believes that, like, Jean was, like, here, but I, he still has a feeling about Martha. He has a bad feeling about her. Um, yeah. Okay, that was a Star Wars reference. <laughs> <laughs> Over my it's head. It's always better when you have to explain it, so good <laughs> good job, Danielle. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't think, I'm, I'm interested to see, like, where the, where it goes this I was going to say the semester, yeah. the season. <laughs> <laughs> same thing. Really. Same, same. <laughs> um, I missed that reference because I was up in my head trying to figure out the segue. And so here it is. It's that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's that I think you're correct in your reading. And Stan really is like feeling himself and his suspicions. And because he is like NQGB trademark, like often bad at his job instead of using that like for being good at his job he uses it to like go bro code on philip yeah yeah that's a good listen a great segue (laughs) (laughs) i we gotta talk about okay so this brings us to like the the like landers of it all well it brings us to to the s maybe let's do the s yeah yeah yeah, yeah. let's yeah because i think then s will get us to glanders right so like Right. So Philip is so the episode ends with filled. Right. The episode ends with Stan confronting Philip, but part of why Stan confronts Philip is because like his new fling has seen Philip and Sandy together. And it's because Philip is like still going to S, and then we get all this Philip S stuff. There's like <laughs> a lot packed into like that chain of events in a short yeah. episode. <laughs> Yes, um, a good plot construction as well to totally. like be able to tie all this other all together and good plot reconstruction by my co-host. And I was just going to skip over all of it, so you know <laughs> <laughs> we can't all have the same skill set. Um, yeah, the Philip. You know, this is one of the several times in this episode where the murder, killing, whatever we want to call it, of this boy in the USSR like comes back where he gives almost a full recounting yeah. of that story to a room full of 100 200 people at this fucking s seminar which is quite the the choice and he is aware of how 
risky and how maybe fucked up this is, but yet he needs the expression that is not to Elizabeth of this history, this past of what his body knows and his psyche knows, yeah. like more than the danger or risk would otherwise prevent him from doing so. Yeah, I think that that is a like a helpful way to think about it. I'm I'm still like stuck back on the I haven't quite processed that he's like give, recounting this event almost in its entirety to yes. a public set of people. Yes, like that. <laughs> and and ends with he moved away, right? And like the most transparent <laughs> lie. <laughs> Right to a room full of people who understand themselves <laughs> to be digging into deeper truths that are masked by bullshit language. It's like you know. Oh my god! I did enjoy the camera work on the audience yes. reactions to this as he was telling the story, I and mean, the camera work in general in this scene was, I thought, very, very good. Um, but especially like the cutaway shots to the audience and how they were reacting to, it, which I think calls attention to the thing that you you found like shocking or confounding. The audience, the audience work stuff is is good because like you're you're seeing them in it. And then you're like in Philip's memory, right? And then yeah. all of a sudden it cuts off, right? Like it's the transparency of the lie in a in front of a whole set of people who are like, this is literally what they are trained like to pick up on. It's just like I, there's something about like Philip. What's interesting about the Stan confrontation where philip is like i went back to est like i don't know it it is what it you know like he's sort of fumbling mm -hmm. about but there's like something about the stand confrontation that it's like philip you are literally doing the opposite of what a spy can slash should do and and yet like it is your neighbor who can't figure out that you're a spy who's confronting <laughs> you about this like there's there's this like cross wiring happening with the stand yes. confrontation that like yes. makes all of this even wilder i can't quite like put words to that's, it but like that's where i am a brilliant point b <laughs> you. you've already put words to it like it's a fracturing of like there. the ability of the different timelines and emotional arcs and plot arcs to stay away from one another right like they can't yeah like, the charge of what's happening is so great and philip's response to what's happening is so reflective of his fractured self that it's like having effects back on the storytelling structure of the show i'm laughing because i'm like this is the american's multiverse <laughs> <laughs> no this is the me. moment at the end of loki Bye. Where the I'm, si I'm, si I'm signing <laughs> off leave call i'm booting danielle americans podcasting is over Sorry, we are done thank you for listening to the final <laughs> episode ever of not quite great books a tv podcast i am your only remaining host john mcmahon <laughs> bye i knew that it was gonna provoke an intense <laughs> response but i couldn't not say it it's like it's too good <laughs> good is not the word i would use but it is a word <laughs> that grammatically works there i suppose grammatically <laughs> works there we just like we kept saying fracturing and in my brain like fracturing is like that image at the end of loki where like the timeline literally like splits into a million different branches <laughs> so, like homo even though we soccer? literally 
spent mo- months this summer talking about homie soccer. Uh, that's not where my brain went with fracturing. I can't imagine so. why. Um, <laughs> anyway, but I'm uh, your estranged co-host, Danielle Hanley. Back, <laughs> back to make amends. <laughs> John, you better leave all that in. <laughs> He's oh, like... 100% of it staying. Amazing. <laughs> um, <sighs> but yeah, I, no, the, the fracturing, like the... The fracturing around S, like, and, like, the fact that, like, these plot points, these, like, progressions can't stay separate from each other. I mean, this is exactly what's happening to Philip, right? Like, it's all of that. It's, like, that compression has just caused, like, an explosion. Yes. And he understands on some level that he can't be doing this, right? He and Sandy talk a couple of times about Elizabeth not knowing that philip is here and at one point philip literally gets the line if i tell her she would kill me yeah. in the like jokey spousal way that's like maybe actually true if she knew maybe a it's million not percent of possibility a million percent not a joke well then it's like and we'll we'll come to talk about this a little bit more later right but like the philip sort of exposing himself at est and leaving himself exposed Right. By going out with Sandy afterwards. Right. Which is like what leads to the stand confrontation is not that different than Paige telling Pastor Tim. Correct. So it like that and and the the ways in which both Philip and Elizabeth sort of engage in season three, like work through the page of it all is is really interesting. And then like thinking about Philip having this outlet where he literally like tells the 80% version of the truth is a really fascinating thing to think about in a world where that is predicated on keeping secrets. As witnessed by the Matthew Reese and Susan Meisner, like play that conversation over dinner or drinks or dessert or whatever after asked so well in that there's a like approaching romantic chemistry or version of that, that they have in that moment that we have never seen Philip and Elizabeth have that same kind of remote of almost romantic or romantic energy. Like we've seen many times where Philip and Elizabeth, like they have a clear, like sexual connection. They have a clear emotional bond. They have like various forms of love for one another and romantic connections, but not the precise kind that we see Philip and Sandy having a version of in that moment. Yeah. And like the, on the one hand, right? Like, Stan says that Tori saw them and that they were they were quite intimate. And it's like yes. we know that like nothing is going on with them because yeah. Philip has sort of rebuffed the like pathway into intimacy, into like, you mm-hmm. know, physical intimacy with her if that if that offer And then was- did it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and then like it makes sense that someone who doesn't really know these two is observing this as intimacy. Now, I don't know yeah. that Stan necessarily would have observed it as intimacy, yeah. like knowing Sandy, knowing Philip, but right. Like it's important that it's a little bit more of an objective perspective coming from outside and then being reported to Stan that like they're so j- just to your point, like that intimacy is something that others pick up on that it's palpable. And, and again, like, there is a ton of physical intimacy with Philip and Elizabeth, particularly in terms of se- sexual chemistry. We've sort of seen that in different places, right? 
And yet, like, this is, you're absolutely right that this is different than what we've seen between them. And they're, I don't know, brings us back to the question of, like, the role of, of like, truth or truth-telling or secret-keeping, like, what that does to, like, not only to the body, but also to the, like, your ability to form connections with other people and what that looks like. That external perspective on that process or those questions, I think you're right, is very important. Witness that it's not only Callie or Callie Thorne is the actor, Tori um, Mm -hmm. is the character who does that, but the camera literally takes on Tori's perspective at one point. So it's, I think it's different and doesn't quite work as well if we only got the close up of Philip and Sandy together, but that we got both that and then we got the camera from Tori's perspective on their interaction. That's absolutely essential to making the emotional dynamics work. I totally, I totally agree with that. Do we want to maybe like shift into like the part of Granders? Yeah, the part of this scene. So the this we get like Philip, Sandy, Est, all of that, and it comes to this Philip and Stan confrontation where I was having literal heart palpitations because I was like, oh my god! And this is exactly why it's staged like this, right? Like Stan like roughs up Philip a little bit, and I'm like, this dude has a biological weapon on his person. And I mm-hmm. I like as the scene is unfolding and and Elizabeth is like, "Oh, Stan, hey." And and he's like, "I need to talk to Philip." I'm like, "Is he going to like do a drop to Elizabeth with the like biological like is that going to happen right now?" And then he doesn't and I'm like, "Oh no, it's going to break in his jacket." <laughs> yeah, because instead the camera like make sure we see Philip putting it in his like inside pocket yeah. of his coat. And then at one moment when Stan has him pushed up against the shelves or whatever, or the wall, the camera literally pans down yeah. to, to Matthew yeah. Reese's chest, i.e. the pocket where the Glanders, uh, you know, virus or whatever it is, is. Wow. Oh, my God. I mean, so, okay. So, one, there's just like. Wait, talk about toxic masculinity. No, <laughs> no notes. Thank you. Thank <laughs> no you. No notes. So there's the biological weapons of it all, right? So that's <laughs> casually casual biological weapons. My um my notes say, why does this guy have gloves and <laughs> Philip and Elizabeth don't? <laughs> I believe I said to you, this dude is like living in the midst of like week two of the pandemic, like washing his groceries, and Philip and Elizabeth just like live in Florida and are coughing on each other, like. <laughs> I don't know, like use some, use some uh, PPE, get get them some PPE, get these people an oxygen, like something or other. Um, Yeah. I mean, what did you make of William as a character who gets introduced here? But like, it's a halting introduction because we see him a couple times before they meet because uh, Gabriel describes William before we actually meet William. Yeah. Like, what did you think of him as a character? Like, I don't feel bad spoiling that he's a, essentially a, like, you know, an almost lead for this season and potentially beyond. Yeah, that makes sense, especially because, like, it seems like this is, I mean, where we started this discussion, right, is like, okay, this is the first episode of the season. So, like, what's kind of happening here? Um, and so it makes sense that he's going to stick around. Yeah, I don't trust him, but I don't trust anybody. Okay. <laughs> and and like I yeah, there's something off kilter about him that I 
haven't quite put my finger on, but I think it's like linked to the mistrust. Now, like, thank you for giving the Soviet Union these biological weapons, but also like that's a ratcheting up of stuff, <laughs> right? Like Yeah. And and we get Gabriel's pseudo justification for this which i think is notable right so before we meet william right gabriel says well technically uh you know we're assigned to treaties both of us who and we can't make these biological weapons but we both make them i tried to keep you from that here's a meningitis vaccine (laughs) and then i mean william so william portrayed by dylan baker um, we should say like the way that Dylan Baker plays William's tired bemusement yeah. and dry sense of humor is, I think, extremely effective, right? Yeah. The, like, I mean, William's, like, making jokes from the moment uh, that they meet, basically. He's, like, not only just, he, he has the gloves and he's cracking jokes. Like, we get a true both and. A true both and, but he's, like, making jokes but not laughing, right? So, like, that's, Mm -hmm. there's, Mm -hmm. there's, again, there's something off-putting about this, at least for me, which I think is, is, like, effective for this character. Because you're, like, yeah, the dude who's, like, betraying his country to give the, like, uh, the country's enemy these weapons is not going to be, like, all there in the head. (laughs) So, like, there's going to be something, like a little bit suspect about what's what's up that makes sense and also it's like chilling that this dude is like rolling around with biological weapons like in his pocket and they're like oh we got the meningitis vaccine we cool and he's like yeah no <laughs> good try <laughs> yeah <laughs> idiots <laughs> yeah. and he so. isn't like put these gloves on and in the end it's essentially his uh commitment to carefulness that like saves philip and stan right because it's because so that, it's like yes the glanders is in a cigarette case or whatever or like a tin but it's so carefully wrapped and like i love the way they had philip take a while like that could have been a one second shot no, of him but it was like, like looking like... and considering but they let it roll for a few seconds yeah. and i thought that was nice um that it's like it's William's carefulness and caution that literally saved their lives and prevented like them from having glanters all over themselves. Yeah. And I'm still like, why was anybody putting this in their pocket? <laughs> what would you have liked Philip and Elizabeth to do with the glanders? I would have liked it in a, like a lunchbox. <laughs> right? Like I would have liked it not on their person. That's what sure. I would have liked. So, okay, or so like, like a thermos. So in the in the tin, but like the tin is in another container. Yeah, that like people who work in an office would obviously have a lunchbox, right. a thermos, a briefcase. Pick your poison. <laughs> literally, um, like why is this? Why are why is it on your body? Like why? Yeah, literally why? I also loved the spycraft of yeah. Philip and Elizabeth attempting to meet with William, right? Because we get a clue of how they're running counter surveillance to be able to meet their agents. And we've seen bits and pieces of it at various points over the first few seasons, but we get a like fuller version of that here. We get um, as well that the like spy spycraft question, you know, bleeds over into their ongoing disagreements with one another yeah. about page or about what they do generally. Like, that fight 
between them, like verbal fight between them in one of their like safe, not safe houses, but safe garages, which I think is the one of the, it's the most we've seen of one yeah. of these safe garages where they keep disguises and makeup and stuff. Yeah. And call one of their cars and all of that. Um, so I love that we get more of a peek there, but the disagreement and the fight between the two of them there. And that like quite directly as Elizabeth is accusing Philip of holding them back. She then turns out to have found to have been correct, both that they were fine in that moment and that there was surveillance on William the second attempt. Yeah. Um, and we get two contrasting scenes of how Philip and Elizabeth relate emotionally over the spycraft stuff. Yeah. Scene one is they're having this argument in the g- garage or whatever, mm-hmm. where as if we didn't understand what was happening, they literally have uh, Carrie Russell and Matthew Reese on either sides of a chain link fence arguing with one another, right? Great, Great. staging. Good, nice work. A plus, no notes. But then when they're back in the in the uh, travel agency office later, Elizabeth does not want to use the fact that Philip was wrong to like berate him, yeah. but to like ask him if he's okay. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because like in previous seasons, she would have like she, i think she would have doubled down on that right but there's like that she's picking up on something that is more substantial than just yeah. like a oh like bad feeling in a mission and that has been picking up on it and like is like part of the conversation about like with him going to Martha and it's part of like all of this right it's and it's it's really predicated by all the page stuff i have maybe one or two broad questions and then we head into the segments let's do it just on the most broad level possible, do you think we should like read any greater symbolism or anything into a biological weapon being the starting point of the season? Oh, John, that's an intense question. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't. It's just a casual casual (laughs) Sunday morning question, you know? I wasn't thinking in that direction, but now I'm like, oh God, is Elizabeth going to be pregnant at some point? (laughs) Oh, okay. Bonus dossier content. No, I mean, I, I like this question. I... I don't know about symbolism, but I do think that like something we talked about in our season three wrap up is like the way that season three feels like the stakes have been heightened in in such a way by the time we get in and through season three, that it feels like biological weapons are like where this had to go. Um, Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I don't know that that's like a it's not symbolic. It it feels like a more practical concern, but I will keep thinking about the symbolic. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking a little bit just about the, this line that I'm sure we'll talk about in the cave where (laughs) Philip gets asked during his S session, how did it feel in your body? And there's this question about like, there's a question about like, what does the body know and not know? Yeah. And like how that relates to something about like a biological weapon that is a mass social phenomenon that takes place through bodies that maybe there's something happening there. Yeah. Listen, I, I like, I like all of those connections. I was the biological weapon. It was like really hard for me to be thinking about biological weapons, like, and not thinking about COVID. So like, which I, yeah. it's not the same thing, but it like, that's right. where my brain was with this, which is like, yeah, which is a different space to be thinking about this in. But yeah, keep talking about it. 
Yeah. And then the other question is that we talked before we started recording that maybe we both felt this was kind of disjointed or a little too much as a premiere, but I would like to fully retract that take <laughs> on the basis of the last 50 plus minutes of recording. I do you would are you still feeling that way? I'm not I'm not feeling as much that it was disjointed, but I do think and we're like about to sort of turn to this in a minute, right? Like we have four other things to talk about that are like <laughs> plot points in gloss. Yeah. And usually yeah. when we turn to gloss, it's like, okay, here's like one and a half like plotty things that we didn't get that are not part of our main discussion. So like, I agree, like, but I think part of your feeling is that we are able to make this cohesive. I'm not entirely sure that like all of the pieces fully fit together for this episode, which is fine. Cause it's like, the first episode in a season and, and this show is really good about bringing the pieces together by the end. Yeah. So like, I'm not worried about it, but it did still feel disjointed to me. I think you just laid down the implicit challenge to me to make every one of our plot points in glass about fracturing. And I'm ready <laughs> for the challenge. Okay. I'll date. I'll, I didn't know I was doing that, but I'll, I'll take it. And <laughs> let's go the, into the segment. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we have well we do have a rectory in this episode of the americans but in this podcast we have daniel dossier yes we are back to daniel dossier um listen the dossier is simple this week it is how (laughs) is martha still alive now i know that like i am the boy who called wolf last season (laughs) i was like martha's gonna die martha's gonna die martha's gonna die martha's gonna die she's still alive yep, yep, yep But Martha should not still be alive. (laughs) So I'm not going to predict Martha dying, but I am just going to point our highlighters or our flashlights into Martha still being alive and that being suspicious AF. (laughs) Okay. Can I invite you to make some seasoned dossier predictions after one episode? I think that... I think so. The other like thing in the dossier is I think Stan is on to Martha. So I actually think what we will get in this season is like more of a Stan Martha confrontation or like some okay. kind of like Martha being found out. Like uh, they're they're playing with fire over there. So okay, what do you think about our favorite slash least favorite Victorian ghost? You asked me this in the season three wrap up, and I also like would like I. I'm done with Pastor Tim. Like, I'm over him. So I would like him gone. (laughs) Okay. So I'm hoping that, like, that Kenya trip really, like, pans out. And (laughs) we don't have to see him again. He just moves to Kenya. All right. Do you think somebody's getting glanders by the end of the season? And if so, who? No. Because that doesn't seem like the kind of thing that one person gets. It seems like the kind of thing that an entire... (laughs) suburb yes so like no 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 because all of falls church virginia is getting glanders or no because glanders is contained no because glanders is contained because like everyone getting glanders would make this show seem less realistic than it than it sets out to be so I forget if this happened on air before we started recording. We imagined Ghost Story, uh, <laughs> The Americans, like it becomes a supernatural thriller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're saying it also isn't The Americans, colon, Walking Dead. Right. Right. Great. Also a show I haven't seen. <laughs> Same. I have not seen any no uh, Walking Dead either. Any any William predictions? 
no, but like, uh, I'll put a pin in that and come back to it next episode. Now that I like have a sense that he's going to be around, I'll, I'll make some, but he feels unhinged. So like, I like it, it could be a wild ride with that guy. Or also he could like be a sort of like very normal seeming sociopath and like surprise us in the end. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I will point out that we like on that note, um, we get Gabriel saying he's been at this longer mm-hmm. than you have to Elizabeth and Philip, and that he's doing it alone, and that not everybody is as lucky as Elizabeth and Philip, which is ominous considering the state that they are generally in, and particularly that Philip is in in this episode. Maybe I want to make a prediction that like Elizabeth and William will sleep together. Okay. Well, Late because breaking, because Gabriel says like he had a partner, and like that's like what predicates the not everyone is as lucky like he had a partner but it didn't work out so like maybe elizabeth is like this is the way to keep him keep him in i don't know okay great prediction (laughs) okay should we go to gloss we should okay like i said gloss has got a lot of like real stuff in here because this plot is fractured (laughs) so let's start with (laughs) Paige and pastor tim the victorian ghost (laughs) yes All right. Tell us where where you're thinking with Paige and Pastor Tim. Well, just that I loved the conversation that they have together in the rectory. Um, it's it's Paige simultaneously like channeling her parents yeah. and trying to deny her parents yeah. in the fullest extent possible at the very same time. And I thought that. Holly Taylor does a great job of portraying that. Her dire need to confide in Pastor Tim and her fuck you attitude to correct fuck you attitude to Pastor Tim being like, as you call it, let's have a group therapy session about this together. Uh, you know, off the record was really well done. And like, similarly, I think that Pastor Tim is both is mostly in and over in over his head but also he thinks he's the right person to deal with this. Pastor Tim, no, my spy parents do not want to come in and have a conversation about this. Like After Philip has already almost killed him in that very room. Do you think they would be open? To- no, I don't think they'd be open to it. They told me not <laughs> to tell anyone, and I told you, and, and now I'm realizing that I fucked up, and I shouldn't have told you. And I think that's kind of, for me, the interesting yeah. part of that interaction is that Paige, both in the in the Pastor Tim conversation in the rectory but i think this you're also seeing this like when she's struggling to like walk in to say the pledge or like you know she keeps herself outside and like doesn't say the pledge and all of that and then she's like having this conversation with elizabeth right like she's realizing that like one the stakes are much higher so like there's this parallel between i think Paige and martha in this episode and there has been like i think throughout the last few episodes like of a sort of like eye-opening oh my god like this is what the world looks like and i did not know that and now like i feel overwhelmed right and so Paige realizes that she messed up and also can't walk this back and also can't tell her parents the thing that i find really fascinating though is like i literally wrote in my notes finally some page suspicions right like they are finally starting to be like maybe this isn't going the way that we wanted it to go 
Right. Witness, they put a bug in the rectory. Yeah. Like, they have bugged the church, finally, which is, or, or maybe it was bugged already, but I'm not sure if we know that for sure. Um, but that's what she's listening yeah. to in the. Correct. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And like, but seemingly after the conversation that Paige and Tim have. Yeah, but she right? hasn't gotten to that part of the recording. Or or hasn't gotten to that part of the recording. Yeah. Yeah. One of the two. Like, so she's listening to the the conversations, but like we don't hear that. Like Philip walks in and like we don't hear that part of the conversation yet. So I think like maybe she hasn't picked up on it. But my other thing is like, why isn't that why aren't they bugging their own phone? It's a good question. Like if I was a spy, everything yeah. would be bugged. <laughs> if yeah, if you were a spy with kids, you would, yeah. I would have bugs in their room because also Philip and Elizabeth don't trust each other. So like why aren't there bugs in like all the places in the house? Anyway, that's like <laughs> I mean what one other thing on page is like so Tim's if Pastor Tim's advice is, you know, ask them a lot of questions, like try to draw them out. Um, you know, ask more about them, which Paige already knew, right? Like yeah. that's her strategy anyway. Yeah. Like witness earlier in the episode where she gets extremely lied to by Elizabeth. Like what he's doing is not dangerous. He's just meeting a source, getting people to trust you. You want some things, you make the world safer. And there are bits and pieces that in a perverse way are true of what Philip is doing. But Paige has in some ways already trying to ask more questions and either consciously or unconsciously knows she's getting a lot of bullshit in response. Even as her parents are like portraying themselves as being honest and open to her now. It's interesting that you felt that as like being aggressively lied to because I was like, oh, this is like Elizabeth's version of the truth, which is like she's trying to give Paige some kind of foundation to what they do without giving her like it whole hog because clearly the whole hog version where they're like by the way we're spies for the soviet union cool like what do you want for breakfast didn't work (laughs) right so there's like i read that as and i agree like there is a, a substantial amount of lying happening there but that's like i think that is less um it's less like I'm a, I'm trying to lie to you and more like I'm trying to explain this to you in a way that will like make it make a little bit more sense so that when you see the real version of it, you are able to absorb it as such. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I guess how I would frame it maybe more carefully is that I don't think Elizabeth fully believes everything she's saying. Oh, no, I, not at all. No. And yet, yeah. 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 Um, and I guess that's kind of why I framed it as like as as like lying or gaslighting to her. But I, I but I agree with you that like this is a moment where Elizabeth is trying to take a new strategy in running her agent daughter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that th- yeah. and there's always like lying in that, right? Like and but for Elizabeth, it's not like lying as malicious, it's like lying as a way of life. And those are different things. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant <laughs> Stan is he good or bad at his job <sighs> he's always almost not bad at his job <laughs> <laughs> that is like the second most important question on this podcast I after agree. does this person get to come out of the cage or not, cave or not? <laughs> like, is Stan bad at his job TM <laughs> <laughs> yeah like 
again, I think we're going to get Stan fully on to Martha. Like, that's mm-hmm. something I think will happen in this season. So we always have Stan creeping, like, approaching the asymptote of, like, good job. Sorry. John was taking a drink of water. As I said those words, I knew that it was going to be bad. And he's just, like, coughing like a crazy person now. I'm back. I'm I'm okay. I'm not dying. <laughs> Almost. It was a close call. I'm here. No glanders for you. <laughs> I have avoided glanders for today. Oh not today. Oh my god. Glanders. As I was saying that, I was like, why is he taking a drink right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Stan. I mean, like, I'm honestly impressed that Stan confronted Philip. Like that felt like that felt like a more out of character thing than anything else. So <sighs> that's interesting. I read that as extremely in character for Stan, both as like, and Elizabeth even makes a joke about, Oh, you two need boy talk together. And yeah. something they need boy talk is that they need like aggressively toxic masculinity uh, about the bro code together, um, at least from Stan's perspective. And I think also in character in the, inability to emotionally grapple with the end of his relationship and his marriage with Sandy. So I think those are both like extremely like Stan is back on his bullshit hours. But this place where I think Stan is like acting a little out of character in really fascinating ways is him lounging in the morning with Tori and like making jokes and like really like uncertain, but also feeling super confident because like he got the, you know, deputy direct deputy AG like is, has his back. Yeah. I guess like what I was thinking about in terms of out of character is like, it actually does feel out of character for Stan to like have any kind of real physical confrontation one and like have any kind of like real feelings around Philip. Right. Like that those things felt out of character, like him acting on like his frustration around Philip seemed out of character. Whereas like in the past, we would have seen him act on his frustrations with Sandy or with whoever, like on Oleg or like on on someone else. Like he's he's (laughs) the king of displacement. And so that felt out of character, not the broiness of it. That makes that makes total sense. I mean, I think I mean, as you know, like I am very invested in the Stan Philip, like know. you know, male friendship. You love it uh, dynamic. Um, you love it, don't, but that's okay. Um, so I think that's that's where I was coming from there. Should we go to Nina? Yeah, we should. Um, this was not your favorite storyline. I just don't. I, I said to John before we started recording, like I just don't care about Nina right now. And I think this is part of like there's just so much going on in this episode. It's not that this is unimportant. Of course, it will. Again, like the show's really good at rem- at bringing things back, even if you feel like things have fallen a little bit out. But I was just like, okay, like I'm trying to keep up with all the rest of it. Like now, Nina is like we're like back. We're back with Nina in the prison. She's still not free. It's still bad. (laughs) Okay. I think that one way to connect Nina into the overall storyline is that she is, she is trying to like live a post fractured self life in like literal, literal confinement. Um, And that she's trying to do so in a way that like salvages some sense of herself makes sense of her past 
and her relationship to the Soviet Union. And here we find out like she wants to see her husband, which is like a thing. Um, while simultaneously trying to, like, I think in her view, like, save Antone yeah. is, I think, how I would describe what her, like, desire is yeah. in, in this situation. And I think all of those are, we see her in a different stage of the fracturing process than we do Philip or Martha. Yeah, I think that's right. I think, and I think that, like, helps connect it a little bit more. I just, like, it's just not as interesting as the rest of it right now for me. And so I'm interested to see how it like it, you know, it was connected before because it was connected to the stand stuff. It feels a little bit separate from that right now necessarily. So I'm interested to see how it like comes back in and how it connects to the glander stuff in a more specific way, like how it just like becomes a more relevant and important thing. It will. I just like, it's not there for me yet. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, I can't believe I'm going to do this. Oh, no. we, might, we can also say that, like, there's a little bit of the way in which them in this science research facility slash prison is, like, they are in the state of exceptions. So they cannot fully connect back into Danielle shaking her head. Like, that's, the that's my version is of over. you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Um, we are done with Agamben. We are done with it. We're over Agamben. You're over Loki. I'm over Agamben. <laughs> we get one more round of revisions and literally have to do Loki and Agamben more. Both of um, us. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. So that's a, that's a like sinking ship going down together moment for our lives. Oh my um, God. But yeah, so I mean, the, that's like the flippant take. But then the other thing I would say is that we often had in the first two seasons what Nina would say to Stan was bringing some like existentialist vibes into the universe of the Americans. And I think Nina and now Nina and Antone continue to play that role with like how much of their conversation is about like existence, legacy, death right and kind of what it means for them to find themselves in the conditions um that they're that they're in right so we get you know whether it's anton larazovich talking about like that he's just a memory to his son and not a good one at this point whether it's like his note that we will just be dust ground into dirt yeah and like they're also in this you know prison slash research facility like what i'm saying is that we're getting strong dostoevsky vibes from anton and nina that's what I'm saying. Listen, I'll take it. No notes. <laughs> like I think your note is I wish we didn't do this. <laughs> yeah. My note is I'm still not that interested, but you did a nice job of like connecting the dots. So I'm trying. I'm always are you, into that. are you more interested in what's happening in the resident tour? No. <laughs> no. No, I am, I am, what? I am. You know okay. what? Part of this is like, oh, what well, I have to read subtitles now. <laughs> wow. Which is like I'm. I, I guess again, like not not quite great books. We're we're over. It's gone. But I'm laughing because I was when I was at home with my sisters like a couple of weeks ago before they all went on vacation for two weeks without me. I was invited, but the, but like the semester started semester. anyway. Hanley family does not care about the semester starting. They're like, still come. I'm like, okay, no. Anyway, <laughs> they were watching everything with subtitles, and I was like who are you guys? Jason Manzoukas? Like, come on. Like, why are we, why are we, oh, having, that's, why are we having subtitles on Vanderpump rules? <laughs> that's, I, I have 
captions on for literally everything. I can't. I, I, I don't want to be reading anything while I'm watching TV. <laughs> wow. Fine. Um, if, if you say so. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm messing around. No, I am more interested in what's going on in the Residentura um, because I'm interested in like the power dynamics there are very interesting to me and they always yeah. have been. And so like, again, it, it still felt a little bit more disconnected, but it's obviously not disconnected. Right. Because like you, like there's like a clear connect, like there's a clear connection. Like we see Arcadi being kept outside of something it was the same thing that Philip and Elizabeth had been kept outside of, right? Like mm-hmm. that, that dynamic nice. is interesting. The like Arkady Tatiana dynamic is interesting. So like, I'm interested in this more so than I am the Nina, um, the Nina stuff. And part of it, I think is like uh physical proximity. Like it's closer to what's happening. And part yeah. of it is like articulated proximity to the thing that's going on. And the other part of it is that we love Lev. We love Lev. And we love Arcadi. We love him. Yeah. We really do. Yeah. And and we're sad to see him banging on a door and right. not being let inside. Yeah. And I mean, that's quite the power move by Tatiana. And I think that like Vera Cherny is the actor's name. I think she another like moment of great acting that there's both the I really hate to have to do this to you, Arcadi, in a genuine way, and a little bit like an Amy Schiller. I hate to have to do this to you, but I'm secretly enjoying it, right? Producer Amy, shout out. Mm-hmm. Like, there's like the power version of it for Tatiana is, I think, also alluring, even as she, I think, genuinely thinks that Arcadi is a good resident and genuinely like cares about his role in the emotion and the like structural politics of the KGB too. So, like, I think that that's interesting. Yeah. And then, like, obviously, you know, Arkady is, we've decided, an audience identification uh, character. Yes. Um, at least in our lore in canon. And, like, this puts Oleg in a really difficult position because he both is friendly with Tatiana and also friendly with Arkady. And Arkady literally tries to put him, put Oleg between the two of them yeah. in this episode. Yeah. And maybe one last thing. I thought that the conversation between Arkady and Oleg was really well done. Like both the moments of humor that often they get to show in the Residentura in a way that like humor is not necessarily available in other places in the Americans. There's like the tea that they're drinking. There's like Oleg picking up the like, uh, you know, pastry or whatever it is. Um, that I thought was like just amusing the way that that they shot it and the way that Oleg uh, that Costa Ronan uh, played Oleg there, and also the we can't really make it explicit what we're talking about here, but both Arkady and Oleg know exactly what they're talking about here. Was I thought another notable point of that conversation? Yeah, and and like uh, I think their interaction made me enjoy and like think back through the rest of it more than than I would have because I also just like their dynamic right like yeah and that is a kind of it's like a refreshing thing to come back to um yeah that dynamic oddly like they're are, are they the most positive version of masculinity that exists in this show yes Oleg now not early yeah Oleg, yeah, yeah no now like, yes yeah yeah because they've been okay. humbled by their masculinity I think yeah yeah Cool. Into it. There, Knuff. Let's do nonsense and gloss. Yeah, let's do nonsense and yeah. gloss quickly. <laughs> 
There's no Henry. There's never, except there is, let's talk about Henry's aggressive cologne, <laughs> which is such a, like, you know, 11-year-old boy. Philip's like, he it doesn't is. even shave. <laughs> it's really, it's a, a real, yeah. uh, um, like, home alone aftershave moment. There we go. Like, jumped yeah. in my brain. Great, great point. And also, like, it was clear that Carrie Russell and Matthew Reese, like, we were like, oh, we get to have a little bit of fun yeah, yeah, in yeah. the show yeah. and, and recording that in that scene. So, like, good for them. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, Henry continues to be the absent presence of the Jennings household. He's haunting the... <laughs> oh. Oh. More oh, ghosts. Wow. Um, okay, More you've ghosts. got some Martha notes, so have at it. I do. I mean, again, like Allison writes, acting was, I thought, excellent. Um, one thing that I appreciated, you know, I think we shouted the makeup artist a couple times in this episode at this point, because like one thing that often happens and I get why it happens is that like somebody has just woken up or in a like, and they do this, especially with actors who are women, like are should not like would not have makeup on in these characters, actual lives. And yet like the actresses do yeah. like, for, for again understandable reasons but like they did such a good job with that on martha that like when she is woken up by clark philip it actually looks like she has just been yeah. woken up and i thought they did a really nice job with that yeah yeah i'll take that that's 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 the martha notes um and the other is like allison writes uh side eye oh no, like my god working so at, good <laughs> working at carrie russell level a million percent she just like facially nailed this episode. Hans back briefly in a funny hat, like Hans and his hats. We love you know. Hans and his hats. Hats and Spycraft feels like what this show is all about. So, which I think also takes us to all right. So, we've had many months. Danielle, are we any closer <sighs> to uncovering no. the cipher, the code name, Barb Nostalgia for the Unremembered 80s? No. No, we also forgot that it was a thing I was I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I never forgot. We may or may not have new guests who haven't been here before this season, but I don't know how good your chances are of finding this out still. Listen, at this point, I'm just waiting till we get to the end so you can tell me. <laughs> are we going to do an entire episode on on the name? Sure. <laughs> like I don't know. Does it necessitate an entire episode? I mean, it could. Okay. Listen, put a pin in it. We'll come back to it. We'll negotiate it. All right. What What, what are we doing in bar? What's What's our bar nostalgia? Okay. So week? first, just disguises. Like the disguise situation is like so aggressively 80s. There's like something about Elizabeth's hair um, and then yeah. like the oversized clothing <laughs> that like is ill-fitting that just like screams 80s to me. Lots of, lots of clothing situations. So we've got... Um, like Pastor Tim and William are both on the like terrible men's fashion of the eighties and in different ways, mm-hmm. I think. Um Philip's disguise for when they are meeting with William is just like what a like not what an unattractive looking human in that disguise. When like Matthew Reese, as we know, is like very handsome. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I thought, like, Martha's sleepwear struck me as very 80s. Uh, Martha's sleepwear, super 80s, like, frumpy. Martha's, like, got a real frumpy style, and frumpy feels, like, very 80s. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Martha is a good... Martha's uh, clothing is a good segue into something else that feels really 80s here, for me anyway, is, like, Martha photocopying. So, like, 
She basically only mm. gets like caught by Stan, almost gets caught by Stan, like photocopying the the records that Philip needs. And then she like quickly switches to something else. And it's like today you could just track like who, what, fo- what computer the photocopies were sent to and like what file share and blah, 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 blah. And here it's just like, oh, let me just place this over here so that you can't like put your eyes on it. It's like very 80s. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's another way and like, you know, I, f- if I fear if it's the watch or the big picture that keeps talking about how, like, all creators only want to go into the past. They don't have to deal with cell phone yeah. technology cloud problems. Yeah. Like, you know, one of the many reasons why the 80s suits uh, suits this show well. Yeah. If it's a way, also a way to avoid that, which is not the first or second or 14th or 29th most important thing about the 80s for this show, but, but it does help. It them. definitely helps. Like, I think we've said before, you couldn't really stage this show. Like, it wouldn't be the same staged in 2020 or 2023, right? Because of, like, exactly because of the technology considerations. Yeah. And yet... You know, I mean, I watched The Diplomat. I watched Treason. Like, I'm, I'm, wa- I'm watching the extremely mid 2020s spy shows. Yeah. Um, nonetheless, listen, we love a spy show. We do. Um, I feel like this. The last thing in Gloss is just like, or sorry, we're not in Gloss. The last thing in Bard Nostalgia sorry. is the Pledge of Allegiance, which feels like very 80s or like for us 90s 90s um, extreme 90s kid show i believe you checked in with uh a field agent of ours <laughs> to ask yes, about the yes. pledge of allegiance <laughs> my sister's a fifth grade teacher in denver and i just asked her if like they did the pledge of allegiance and she says that she hasn't remembered ever doing it in her 10 years of student teaching plus teaching but sh- there is a requirement that they have to have an american flag in their classroom which is wild. And then I was telling John about I dated someone who was not American. This was not in America. And he was obsessed with Flag Day, which is a holiday. It's June 14th. And then I sang some songs, which I'm not going to do here. You're going to sing on the podcast. I don't think that's happening. (laughs) For the Patreon. For the Patreon. Yeah, definitely for the Patreon. I loved, and I think you did too as well, this moment of Paige waiting until the pledge was done. Like it just, it's an kind of semi-obvious way to do this, but it was such an effective way of uh, depicting like her conflicted feelings or her fracturing, if you will. Yeah. And it was like, but obvious in a, in like the best kind of way, like, oh yeah, this is exactly like what we need. And brought back all my memories of saying the fucking pledge as a youth. Again, I, I, I will like admit on this podcast that I wasn't conflicted about saying the pledge as a youth. No, neither was I. I didn't love yeah. the under God part. Like I, yeah. that's a part that I never loved, which yeah. speaks to me today. <laughs> yeah. I will say, I forget if we were still doing it in high school, although I think we were because it's like, we're still, we're talking like a, a invasion of Iraq. We're talking like war on terror bullshit. We're talking Bush bullshit. Uh, and like at that point, I definitely, I think would have been skeptical or hope that I would have been skeptical. Yeah. So I don't know if, if we were or not, but I don't yeah. remember doing the pledge in high school because I don't remember because like homeroom and all of that stuff and not everybody yeah. has like first, I, it, it gets hazier yeah. for me then, but I was yeah. in, I was a senior in high school when nine 11 happened. Yeah. I was a freshman. In yeah. High school. Yeah. And so like, I can imagine like after that, it becomes a whole different thing. Yeah, my like very clear conscious memories of doing the pledge end in middle school. Yeah. All right. 
Minor character of the week. Let's do it. Who we got, Danielle? Howard the S guy, who's played by yeah. David Eichenbaum. Um, listen, he does a great job just grilling Philip, and some yeah. and Philip needs that. A, a, yeah. a non-spy grilling. <laughs> but also maybe yeah. torturous. <laughs> I think we may have discussed some S leaders before. Um, he's the main one that we get in the show, Howard. And yeah, like the the way that Eichenbaum acts. Howard's confrontational est style is just, I think, effective. So, Agreed. shouts to Howard. We'll take it. And uh, do you want to make like any bonus dossier predictions? We were uh, lamenting earlier how many dossier predictions end in RIP. Do we think Howard makes it? I think Howard makes it. I think he's like, unless he also comes on to Sandy, in which case he might not make it. <laughs> so, remains to be seen. All right. All right, so it's time to go to the cave. This is the thing I think Danielle has probably been most excited about. I am. About. When I made a joke suggestion so that she took very real. So would you like to explain this to the audience? Yes. We, if you listen to our season three wrap-up episode, we talk about how we like somehow have really not brought Plato, who is where we got the idea of the cave from. We haven't brought yes. Plato into the cave. So we have decided, or John made a joke and I ran with it to the ends of the earth, that this is yeah. Plato season. Um, Plato's, S-Z-N, Plato's season. Plato's season. Um, and what we will do is John will pull up a Plato text and yep. I will tell him to stop. Like He'll scroll through yep. it. I'll tell him to stop. I'll give him... Uh, a letter because Plato's texts are numbered in part by like with letters. The Stephanus numbers have like letters of extension. Stephanus yeah, numbers. Of course nice. I know the answer to that. Of course you do. <laughs> I, I'm teaching it tomorrow and I like cannot wait to explain Stephanus numbers to my students who I'm sure <laughs> do not care. <laughs> they don't care. They don't care when I teach them like Greek words. And even when I like make a joke about how now you're all going to tell your friends if you learn this, right? They don't even laugh then. When I make fun of myself for teaching them. I wrote all of the regime names in Herodotus constitutional debates in Greek and then Mm -hmm. broke them down to the roots also in Greek. And I was like, I know that none of you care about this, but I feel very excited that I did this. And one student came up to me and goes, I care. Bless that student. student. Um, anyway, yeah. so John is going to scroll through some. I'm in the Republic right now. So, Danielle, you just got to tell me when to stop. I'm scrolling. Okay. Stop and see. Stop and see. All right. We are in Danielle, book eight of the oh Republic. My God. We are in line 557C. And this is amazing. This is one of like the quotes I've talked about the most in my teaching life. (laughs) So uh, here we're in 557C and uh, our boy character of Socrates is uh, talking about democracy. Then I suppose that in this regime, especially, and I'm a Bloom translation. What translation of the Republic are you? I'm a Bloom translation. Oh, I I knew it. Like <laughs> this is this lines up with like we're a King James Bible, we're a Bloom translation of the Republic. Okay, I'm not a King James Bible, but like <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Socrates and Adiamantus are doing their regime thing. Then I suppose in this regime especially all sorts of human beings come to be. Adiamantus, how could they fail to? 
uh, Socrates. It is thus probably the fairest of regimes, just like a many-colored cloak decorated in all hues of this regime, decorated with all dispositions, but also look fairest. And many, perhaps, like boys and women looking at many colored things, would judge this to be the fairest regime. I love that. I'm... I'm so happy that this is the quote because I love You're also honoring Regan, who like Regan famously 10 for 10 on banger Aquinas quotes, and those are hard, hard to those come by. Those are hard by, to come and by. You started us off uh quite quite wonderfully here. This is great. So this idea that something that is multicolored from far away looks beautiful mm-hmm. and up close looks chaotic, but like that finding beauty in the chaos feels like worthwhile. And also like for me, the the other piece of, of the other piece of the Republic that is connected to this quote is the idea that, right. So the cloak is describing a democracy, which is like where everyone can exist. And it's also the one regime besides the, um, the regime of the philosopher king in which the philosopher could exist alongside everyone else. Right. It's like the one regime that, that has space for a philosopher. And yet we see like in the apology that like, maybe it doesn't have that space. Uh, Like there's a limit to that space. You going to stress on us. This is the problem. Like with the ancients, I'm like, that's the part that feels fun to play around with. Yep. Yep. No, look, the I never feel more Straussian than when I read the Republic a million and percent. teach the Republic. A million so. percent. Or like when I teach the cave. <laughs> but I think like where this connects back to um, some of the stuff that's happening in this episode is like, it is striking, right? That there's like that idea of like beauty is in the eye of the beholder, but also you might be completely mm-hmm. getting it wrong. Like you might be interpreting yeah. that in the, like, an absolutely wrong way. I think gets, we can read that into the, the, like, I guess you never really know a person like that. The, there's something about like not actually having a grasp on truth and that like everything you see is subjective and it's all about interpretation. Like, feels so central to what's happening in this entire in the show overall but also in this episode like yeah the the philip and um and sandy stuff and stan confronting them the like william with the glander stuff the all of it feels like there is something lurking that you you haven't quite been able to see i don't know there's something there i'm i feel something yeah if I can pick up on that, I think it's the, the something lurking. And for Plato in the Republic, like, and I'm just going to say Plato's thoughts, right? I'm going to do the same thing with my students. We're not going to get into like, just go. is this Socrates? Is this Plato? It's Plato. Plato is thinking that this, the seeds of demise of democracy are internal to the democracy itself, right? So I think that yeah. there, there's also something yes. lurking for Plato totally. within democracy is there is with the other regime. So I think there's that. I think that the chaos part is notable for being a version of like, the fracturing yeah, that we've decided exactly. is the theme of this episode, right? Um, and then the other point I'll say is that, like, one of the ways I teach this part of the Republic, and like, if I'm teaching the Republic, obviously we talk about it, but even in intro, I teach just 
parts of book eight yeah. when we talk about democracy is a way to be like, let us try to seek an external perspective on democracy and ask whether the flaws that in this case Plato are identifying with democracy as such are meaningful to us and like whatever version of democracy we understand ourselves to be living in. Yeah. And like maybe there's something there that like part of the pedagogical value of the Americans is we have to look at like 80s America from the perspective of a Soviet uh, curious or Soviet perspective. Um, and so like, I wonder if there's something there too. No, I think there's definitely something there. And then I, I wonder if like also that idea of the seeds of democracy's demise are like internal is also another way to think through, not only to think through perspective, but to think through like what the Americans is tracking, right? So like yeah. the seeds of American demise are internal to the American <laughs> Republic because, right, they're always uh -huh. pulling on these loose threads. And like yeah. the seeds of Soviet demise are like internal to that. And like Philip earlier on in the, in the series where he's like, let's just be American. Like, let's leave. Like, let's be done with this. Mm -hmm. Like, that mm -hmm. is a way to think about, like, so a version of Soviet demise. And now they're so deep in it. And now Paige, who's, like, both Soviet and American, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and we're seeing both of these things start to collapse around Paige. Like, I don't know. There's a lot here. There's a lot of... What a great quote to happen upon. <laughs> yeah. Good, good job, Danielle. I think so far we're calling this uh, game a success. And done. Listen, I'm just so happy to talk about Plato 13 times with you. So <laughs> buckle up. Yeah. Um, I should have, I, I read the situation completely wrong. As I told you, I was like, I was going to make this as a joke suggestion and be like, Danielle was like, there's no way we could possibly do that. And I made it and then I realized instantly as I was saying it that like, oh no, we're doing this even if I said it as a joke. I there's nothing I would rather do than talk about Plato. <laughs> All right. Well, theory ship is going to be our mechanism for talking about other than Plato, yes. except for the many times where I'm sure Danielle will ship other Plato to characters. <laughs> That's very true. Who do we who do we got this week? So I want to give Bill Connolly's work on contagion and pandemics to both to William, but also to Philip and Elizabeth, so that they're understanding okay. the dynamics of like the germs that they are holding <laughs> and the potential. <laughs> Um, and then I was thinking yeah. like also related to that related to contagion and like, and crowd theory is a little bit of Gustave Le, Le Bon, who's thinking about like, how like things move through crowds. And like, I don't know, there's it feels like we also need to give that to maybe to Gabriel. Um, okay, which he clearly knows that but I think he hasn't reckoned with the like, beyond the the sort of like geopolitical <laughs> ramifications of of glanders he hasn't reckoned with the like what it will actually do to have your agents carrying these things around i'll pick up actually on on both of those suggestions i think in a way and that like you know i could have gone agamben on this but danielle says we're banned from agamben. No, agamben. get it banned agamben um the ban the wolf is loki the wolf is Dilly the wolf? Um, Homo Sylvie Sapper. And uh, instead, <laughs> instead, I'll go with uh, Roberto Esposito or Esposito. Um, and like the book Immun Immunitas, right? So part of like his series of Bios Immunitas Communitas, if I'm remembering correctly, the order um, where he's thinking about like, 
immunization or inoculation is a is a rubric of what political communities do in relationship to outsiders or to like that to which they would like relegate to bare life or like the outsiders within and all of that kind of stuff. And I'm going to give that to like lots of the folks circula- cir- circling the uh, situation with Glanders. Like Gabriel gets this, William gets this, obviously, yeah. but like also I think Tatiana and Arkady yeah. need to worry about uh, immunitas. So we're going to give them some Roberto Esposito as well. And then a little bit picking up on the Lebon suggestion is I think that Philip and Howard and Sandy get to have a reading group with the cultural politics of emotion by mine and Danielle's true fave, uh, called, uh, some Sarah Ahmed. And specifically, like I'm thinking about, um, this line from Howard that anger is a construct, Mm -hmm. but how did it feel in your body? Um, is I think a very, a a line for which Sarah Ahmed would be of much use, uh, in answer. Listen. And I'm teasing out. Fully agree. And I love that we started the cave with plato and we're ending with ahmed which feels like very us <laughs> that's that's true these are two both two things we are very interested in even if they don't necessarily make sense together i think we have come to the end of the episode it is how do we do in our time we goals, did not Daniel? make the time goals and i've been stressed <laughs> out for the last 20 minutes about it i can but tell it's I can fine tell. <laughs> but i also like wouldn't stop recording with you and i'm sad that we're ending so that's a it's a real both end to end the first (laughs) episode of season four um and so thank you as always to producer amy you know for filling in while i was gone and also producing this episode in absentia (laughs) and uh, thank you all for joining us on another episode of not quite what do we got oh sorry two weeks in two weeks yes in two weeks, we have American Season 4, Episode 2, frustratingly titled <laughs> yes, Pastor yes. Tim. Hopefully. I would like you to know <laughs> that I accidentally wrote that as Pastor Time <laughs> the first time I typed that into that line. Oh, my God. I this feel is also, I think, appropriate. angry about this as an episode yeah. title. But here's hoping that, like, we get the end of Pastor Tim at the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> one one can hope alright well thank you all for joining us on another episode of Not Quite Great Books a TV podcast Thank you for joining us on another episode of Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast created by Daniel Hanley and John McMahon and indirectly producer Amy. You can find us on Twitter at NotGreatBooksTV. You can email us at NotGreatBooksTV at gmail.com. If you have comments or questions that we might potentially read and respond to on air, subscribe, download, rate, review us, tell your friends to find us at Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. We would like to thank Less FM for Electro Trend 60s, which is the music that you heard at the beginning and you are hearing right now. Until next time, go play some racquetball.